This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we head to the Maritimes to talk to Chet Konexny of the Halifax Thunderbirds about the newly announced inclusion and empowerment program. Then we'll head down to Denver to talk to Jamie Shuchup as we start our NLL tour talking to guys who have dropped a lacrosse stick and picked up a microphone. All that more on OTCB. lacrosse fans and welcome back to another edition of the off the crossbar podcast here on the lacrosse flash podcast network soundcloud itunes apple music wherever you get your streamings including spotify john gerber what a legend my name is teddy jenner you can find me on twitter at off the crossbar you can email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com Drop me a line on Instagram at OTCB Podcast. Happy Masters Week. I'm sitting here at the homestead watching the rainfall outside and watching the last few groups try to get in as many holes as they can at a Fall Masters down in Augusta, Georgia. Tiger Woods minus four, three back of Paul Casey. And it looks like they're. Uh, Stopping for the day, I think, due to darkness. A few hour weather delay this morning because poor rain. But settle in. It's going to be a wicked three days more of golf and a very rare fall Masters. Welcome back. Great, great, great show for you this week. As mentioned, we'll chat with Jamie Shuchuk down in Denver. He is my cohort on the Colorado Mammoth broadcasts down on Altitude TV. And he's the first stop as we're going to go around the National Lacrosse. We're not going to do this in successive weeks, but just over the next little while, uh, we're just going to go and talk to some of the guys who are former NLLers and have made the switch to becoming a broadcaster. Surprisingly, there are maybe more than you think or may already know about that have made that jump. Of course, we got Shuey and Johnny Gallant down with myself in Colorado. Randy Mearns is in Buffalo. Shanny's in Toronto. Jeff Snyder's called a few games or done a few games for Calgary. Scott Gabrielson 
has hopped on with the Philadelphia Wings since they've come back. Mitch Belial has been doing it for a few years now. He was in Georgia, now is in New York. Drew Petkoff's calling some games for Georgia now. I know Craig Rubzinski has used Bill Werder and a few other guys of former players um, during his career calling games for Rochester. So it is a very valuable asset in broadcast, as we all know, to have someone as an analyst with the knowledge and skill set to be able to break it down. And you've heard me talk on the show many times. It's not as easy as just turning on the mic and rambling. You have to be succinct. You have to be knowledgeable. You have to be 99% of the time as correct and accurate as possible. Because if not, everyone's going to rip you for it online. And you'll never hear the end of it. But that's also some of the fun. And some people just aren't comfortable with it. So... We're going to go around the league and talk to some of these guys that have made that jump. Why they made that jump. What have been the biggest difficulties? Who have they leaned on? um, And how they got that start. And uh, Jamie was the first guy that came to my mind. As I said, he's been doing games with me for the past few years. He was even calling games before I got there in Colorado. And so we'll have some fun with it. We'll, We'll catch up with these guys, see how they've been doing, what they've been doing, and what they thought about their teams. And then we'll just kind of... Have some fun and have those conversations. So we'll get to Shuey in a little bit. But first up, we're going to talk with Chet Konexny. And if you know Chet, you know he has a pure and honest devotion to giving back to the game of lacrosse. Him and Looney Sanderson have been running the Lax Life brand for, I want to say, easily a decade. And it started off just doing camps and things like that across Canada, wherever they could find some space and people who wanted to learn. And they did a great job of it. They had apparel, they had a clothing line, and they really had a really strong brand. But then it kind of turned into more than that. And they were putting sort of like coaching playbooks on their website and drills and practices and plays that people could implement to help their teams and their players get better which isn't something you often see. Often it's, let's just give the kids some fundamentals in a two or three day camp, have some fun, share some stories, and then that's it. But what Chet was able to do is he was able to help impact the people who are going to be coaching these kids and helping the mentors and coaches with that information to once these players in these camps have left town, that they're not just left in the cold. They have something to build on to help those players get better once they've kind of learnt from the pros. And since he's relocated to the Maritimes, he's been doing incredible work with the lacrosse programs out there, helping to build and grow the game. And now... Alongside the Halifax Thunderbirds, the Black Lacrosse Alliance, Turtle Island Lacrosse, and the Indigenous Players Lacrosse Association, they have started the Inclusion and Empowerment Program. And this isn't just camps. This isn't just putting sticks in hands. It's about telling stories, learning about different people and their cultures, 
having open and honest discussions and doing all that we and they can to help everybody be a part and be better. And I think this is maybe a one-of-a-kind partnership. Not sure we've seen anything really like it in the world of lacrosse or maybe in sports general. That we can bring together two huge communities of people and then help those communities bridge the gap between other communities. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And I said this on Twitter. Great ideas by great people will yield great results. And I cannot wait to see what Chet, John Catalano, Kurt Stiles, Joel Hennenberg, Randy Stotts, Brendan Bomberry, and the IPLA, what they can do. Because in this conversation with Chet that you are going to hear, it is so much more than just sticks and hits. This is Chet Connects one-on-one right here on the Off the Crossbar Podcast. Chet, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. Just out here in Nova Scotia, just, you know, trying to grow the game and, and just happy to touch base on some of the stuff that's going on. It has been a while since we've caught up and chatted, but, you know, you've been doing your thing in the world of lacrosse to help grow the game, a, a term we all throw around. You kind of started with Lax Life, you and Looney Sanderson, really creating a brand and a movement to help grow the game of lacrosse and create a lifestyle. But now you're out in Halifax or in Nova Scotia working to continue to grow the great game in your home province. What was it like growing up in Truro? Was, was there a lot of lacrosse when you were growing up? That's actually a funny story. I That's kind of some uh, fake news, if you will. Huh. Um, when I first got into the league there, they one of the things was like, what's your hometown? Yeah. And so like anytime I would go from Victoria back to uh, visit family, I actually since high school, I, I would be going to Nova Scotia. So I just, you know, uh, I grew up here as a kid as well. And I was um, just, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to represent for Scotia. Nobody else really has other than actually Dan Fink, who was one of the original guy from Nova Scotia to, well, his dad, Wayne, even further back, mm-hmm. um, some former pros. But uh, no, um, just it was uh, getting here was like, you know, seeing it was kind of going around in circles in all honesty. There was uh, there's some great people putting in lots of work, but um, some of the infrastructure was was missing. And you kind of you're like, where where do you start here? Right. And you're kind of just up in the thick of it, staring at a mountain. <clears throat> and so, you know, some of the, you know, marginalized communities got missed in my time here as technical director. And that was one of the things I always felt bad about um, after the three years I did here, because I just had so many things to kind of deal with initially. And and so, yeah, now it's uh, it's been great to, um, well, I'm, I'm with Lacrosse New Brunswick now, so moving on to a, a different province and, and really uh, have learned a lot of lessons, learned a lot of lessons in, in Scotia there. And, and it's kind of like a blank canvas as a coach, which is sort of fun because, you, you know, nobody can really see any mistakes that you make and stuff. And it really, you know, was a chance to put some of the theoretical, you know, drills, skills, plays to work that uh, we had done on the Lax Life site and, you know, been through it a few times now. And, and you know, now that I'm back here, because I was in actually Orangeville coaching with Looney the last two years uh, prior to coming to help New Brunswick there. And um, it's really just been reconnecting with a lot of uh, old friends, you know, people that we 
built some of that infrastructure with and 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 now that I'm working with the Thunderbirds it's you know just tying the two together and really just being another hand on deck and and somebody who can help and and the great part about the project we're moving forward on is is I really get a chance to you know work with some of those communities that I felt did get neglected while I was here so you know I, I'm not proud of that either <laughs> but uh, I was you know sometimes you just got to deal with what's in front of you and and you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And, you know, we, we set some foundational work with the with the uh, Mi'kmaq Warrior team um, in 2015, the inaugural team. And um, even just some kind of grants that we were writing that didn't uh, necessarily go through. One that I wrote when I was done there in the African Nova Scotian communities, because I was living right beside East Preston. <clears throat> um, I had a house there. And you know, it, it, nothing came of it, but, you know, everything kind of came full circle. And now, you know, all this stuff is kind of meshing together. And it's really uh, something that's got everybody fired up, I think. The alliance that you guys are creating, the partnership is along with Turtle Island Lacrosse and the Black Lacrosse Alliance. How did this come about? Was it just some, some conversation that slowly started? Was it just because of, of the the temperature of the culture here in North America with everything going on? Or was it just a fact that, you know, like you said, you kind of forgot some communities and, and you felt an obligation to continue to give back. I think everybody's kind of feeling the same way about what we're seeing out there. And there's nice to see some change in, you know, down South and even the recent, uh, the Mi'kmaq uh, acquisition of, of Clearwater, mm-hmm. you know, um, those types of things happening. But, um, basically what, what happened is like, we're all talking about the same things. And so as soon as I kind of got to, started talking to Kurt and and John and and Charlie in the office there and it was like well these these conversations actually stem back to the uh, NLL business summit there in Philly in 2019 with Jessica Berman and so you know just it was lingering and and then you know uh, Chucky there connected the dots uh, with Turtle Island and you know the premise of the project was just to start a conversation right and so who better to start the conversation with then the creators of the game and you know he randy volunteered his time um completely to uh essentially get together and have a series of conversations one of which was with with a bunch of former uh, Mi'kmaq warrior alumni players um just to you know exchange some culture you know talk about what we're kind of looking at here moving forward seeing how everybody's feeling and although i haven't uh you know, spoke with Jules um, other than through email with all of this so far. I mean, a lot of my former teammates are, are in the Black Alliance and, you know, it's it's a group that, you know, having the blessing of those two groups as well as some local partners is just, you know, it kind of just legitimizes everything and gives us a, a great, you know, multilateral project that really has a chance to have a generational effect here and as instead of like the same old same. And, you know, um, kind of just from, from talking to those guys, it's like, you know, there's a certain way to go about it. And, you know, it's not it's not going to be the Thunderbirds telling, you know, these communities like, hey, yeah, we're going to offer clinics. You want to come? Um, so it's kind of like an inside out approach. And, and really, you know, my kind of job within all this as, as kind of a project manager is, is just was really just putting everybody's ideas to paper. Um, and, and every time I've met with the, with everybody and I mean, there's been about 20 meetings already. It's, it's always like, you know, keeping notes on what's happening. We've got a live working document, um, on the inclusion and empowerment program. And, um, yeah, it's basically, it's got 
five what we would consider marginalized communities um, kind of targeted within it. Um, you know, there's 13 reserves here in, in uh, Mi'kma'ki, and we're trying to, uh, you know, get involved with, with those communities. And then um, the African Nova Scotian community is another one, as well as the Acadian, uh, the French community, um, female, and what we're saying is other marginalized communities, but specifically now would be wheelchair lacrosse is another one that we're really trying to venture into. There's, I've had some good conversations in New Brunswick, as well as the Rolling Seals guys down there and, and in the past. And, you know, there's, there's lots of great things that can be done um, and, you know, no better time than now. With everything that's been going on with COVID and you mentioned sort of the, the unsolidness between the Mi'kmaq and, and the local fishermen out in the Halifax and Acadia area. What's been one of the biggest things that you've learned from sort of being a, a quote unquote outsider and watching all the struggles that's going on out there? Um, that systemic racism is real. Out, outright racism is just, you know, it's, you, you hear, it's, it's even seemingly more open than it's ever been. And it, the sad part about that is that the Acadians and the Mi'kmaq have a friendship that's hundreds, hundreds of years old, almost half a millennia. And, and it's like, you know, all that getting cast to the side, people, you know, um, essentially challenging something that's set in stone. It's like, there's no, I don't care what your argument is, loss of livelihood or whatever. It's like those people are going to have to adapt. And just like everybody else has had to adapt when, you know, it's just like transferring to green energy. It's like, you know, the sooner you adapt, the, the better. And if you lose your job because you're sitting there in the, grasping on the oil industry, like, I'm sorry, like you, if you didn't see it coming, you know, this is, this is 20, 20 years since a major court ruling, but you know, hundreds of years since the peace and friendship treaties. So it's, uh, you know, I'm happy. I, I support the, the Mi'kmaq fully. And I, I think it's like poetic justice that they just took over the, the lobster mm-hmm. industry at the same time, like good for them. And, and, you know, that's the type of resiliency that we're trying to build in the community leaders that we're trying to engage and empower within this project. So along with Turtle Island and the Black Lacrosse Alliance, you want to help grow the game of lacrosse through inclusivity. What's the plan for that? Well, um, the plan is to start a conversation um, to really, you know, listen and, and hear what these communities want and need and, and see how lacrosse can be a tool um, to create, you know, success stories in the communities. I mean, just reaching out to some people in the, you know, African Nova Scotian affairs office. That wasn't me, by the way, Brett Draper has been taking the lead, our our draft pick there. Mm -hmm. And, and just, you know, talking to people in the community, Shaq Smith with his basketball futures program. And like some of the conversations you have, it just kind of, you know, brings these things that are were in your subconscious you feel like you know you you've you've heard it before but it's nobody's talking about it and you know one example that Shaq gave was that you know coming from the community he's from he was never exposed to golf but once he was introduced to it he was hooked ever since and Hmm. his thought is that lacrosse is gonna have the same you know thing it's bound to happen and you know it's there's so much in the game that the world needs right now in terms of, you know, sustainability, environmentalism, all the, all the lessons that are, should be taught within the game right from the beginning. Um, and, you know, just sharing these stories back and forth and building a network and, 
you know, that's that's kind of what it is right now is just empowering these these younger leaders. You know, again, the Warriors alumni and, and we're, we're talking tonight with the Sirens uh, female program leaders um, and and really just the big thing is going to be bringing everybody to the table. And and that's where, to me, the magic's going to happen. Like I, the conversations that might come from, you know, having a, a community champion from all of these communities, as well as like a player rep is kind of what we're going for and meeting monthly. And, and you know, they can tell us the way they they're, they've already been out in the communities talking to everybody, bring it back to the table so we can drop the plan to, to help basically give them what they're asking for. And um, so, yeah, there's uh, that's the positive stuff. It, it reminds me of um, university, this class. It was called Cultures of Resistance in the Americas. It was my favorite class by far. I'm at York University, downtown Toronto, multicultural capital of the world. And, you know, around our tutorial and we're discussing systemic racism, police brutality, you know, and I'm the white male perspective in the room. Some very educated people from an amazing cross section of society discussing these issues and if you're going to bring your little opinion to the to the forefront you better be bringing some truth and you know if any opening you're going to get chewed up and spit out and you know that's the climate that I was essentially raised in in Toronto it's like you could be at a corner store or, or at a bus stop beside somebody who you think like doesn't speak English and they speak better English than you they're a doctor and you know have some great insight on something directly affecting your life like you don't know and those are the kind of the lessons I learned there and, and I've carried forward and, and it's helped me kind of forge some some strong relationships in these communities in the past. And I just can't wait to see, you know, what it's going to look like when, when we bring our people together in, in, in a, you know, very Nova Scotia, Mi'kmaq-y kind of, you know, fabric and, and something unique to the landscape out here. We all hear about Atlantic lifestyle and it's very blue collar and, and fishermen and you guys got a lot of snow and crazy weather, but what's life like out there th these days during the, the COVID scenario? And, you know, you guys are in a pretty tight Atlantic bubble, you know, guys flying in have to, you know, self-isolate for 14 days. I know Alex Pace um, is from Halifax and he's heading back home and he's saying that he has to self-isolate, you know, can't be even around his family for those 14 days. What's life like out there right now? Well, I'm looking over my shoulder at my Czech buddy, Peter, right now, and he's self-isolating at my house. <laughs> I mean, that, that about sums it up. They, yeah. just, they just changed the ruling the other day. You were, you were allowed to have people come in and quarantine at your, at your house if oh, you nice. just, uh, kept your social distance. But uh, now, now you have to quarantine with them um, if you're housing somebody in quarantine. So it kind of flip-flops back and forth. I mean, I was in New Brunswick this this summer and and we we did a full staged integration uh we had lacrosse going actually on every uh, in every major city Fredericton, st john moncton at every age group two practices a week starting from like the first four weeks were all um socially distanced practices building towards like one-on-one -on -one at around um after a month which was the recommendation of the uh, sport health of new brunswick mm -hmm. and then then you got so you went against just the same person then you went just against the same three people. Then we started mixing three on three. Eventually to the point where we mixed our Canada Games um, 16U group with our junior squad for, for an inter-squad game at the end. And it was kind of the culmination of our summer. But it was great because, I mean, when do you ever get two practices a week? And the development was fantastic. And we're so lucky that we have this bubble to give us the confidence to be able to 
go out there and administer sport and, you know, keep these kids active because like even my nephews across the way here, across the farm field, it's like they put on a good 15, 20 pounds. We're huffing and puffing coming out of that summer. And, you know, um, it's, it, and that was with the bubble. Mm. So I can only imagine elsewhere. And it's like, you know, we're, I, I'm thankful that our health officials took it serious that we, you know, have a, you know, a small, you know, small province. And, you know, in the lacrosse world, often you get forgotten about and neglected as a result. But in this case, you know, I think it gives you a lot more intimacy, um, you know, in, in these smaller provinces where, you know, the relationships we're building with these kids throughout all this. And, you know, the one-on-one that we're able to have is, you know, a lot of these other provinces weren't able to do much this summer. So we, we felt like we took like a, a quantum leap, so to speak, in New Brunswick. And, and yeah, now, now uh, back with the, with the Thunderbirds, it's allowed me to almost tie the two together. There's going to be lots of uh, inner, inner squad stuff going on. Um, and, and yeah, we even want to, we're talking about starting an Eastern Canadian championship, which was something that happened in the early 1900s uh there's like 1906 um where all these kind of teams along the way from from new brunswick through to nova scotia would play for this thing called the nelson cup which was actually donated by the guys at the montreal amateur athletic club because they heard about the passion and, and and the guys out here trying to get things going in lacrosse and so yeah we're we're really uh, everything's about culture setting and and you know um we're we're always trying to start new cultures of things because it's not how it is in Ontario and BC. Mm. And, and we're really trying to just change the way people look at the game. And again, I think the project that we're onto now is the perfect opportunity to expose people to the game and, and what it has to offer, not just as a sport, but, but as like a cultural, um, and even you could say reconciliation, reconciliation type initiative. With this partnership, the, the, the goal is obviously to, to continue to put sticks in hands of young kids that may not have got that opportunity and open up eyes to the game of lacrosse. But with your work as a technical director, I know you probably saw a lot of the issues that we're seeing all across Canada and in the game of lacrosse is that we give these kids the ability, but we don't necessarily teach the adults how to be proper coaches and mentors to these young kids. So how do you guys think you're going to go about helping, you know, the, the older group of either their athletes that want to be coaches one day or the parents of these kids to help them continue the lessons as you've taught them? Well, it's, it's basically, I'll give you a prime example here. The indigenous players lacrosse association, newly formed. Um, it's the equivalent of lacrosse Nova Scotia. And it's it's a fully indigenous organization, which I think is is totally unique, and and it's 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 self determined, driven from within, and and those are the guys that you know are, you know, basically building these plans themselves, and so that's and the the thing is when we say we want to listen, like they those guys didn't tell us what we thought they would like. They want high performance help. They want us to work with their uh, nag players and and to, you know, um, work with their essentially like the nag players and the Mi'kmaq Warrior Junior players. I mean, those are the, the community leaders in, in, in the future. So um, that's what they want. And, you know, the other communities, we, we have more of a grassroots thing going on. Actually, I should say specifically to the African Nova Scotian, but even female. I mean, like they've got some some great girls with great skill already. So they're somewhere kind of maybe in between the two. They need a little bit of A, a little bit of B. So, yeah, that's uh, there's 
just reaching out to those leaders and, you know, it's nice that I've, you know, a lot of them coached them since they were, you know, preteens even. And, and so now they're, they're getting to that age and, and you can tell the ones that want to get into coaching or, or kind of made for coaching even. And so whenever you kind of see that, it's kind of, I feel like on you to cultivate and develop. Like I always say, like, I pride myself in matching or exceeding the, the enthusiasm of whoever comes at me with anything lacrosse related. And that's where, that's where I serve as the technical director. Cause it's just like, I'm open to everybody all the time. Give me a call whenever, you know what I mean? And, and so that open line of communication though, I think is the main thing and building the trust. Like I can't, I can't speak about trust enough in any of these partnerships and, you know, if there was no trust, if there was no relationships, we wouldn't be as far ahead, let's say, with the with the Mi'kmaq lacrosse as we are. And and in, and in fact, in the African Nova Scotia, com- comparatively in that community, we don't have a lot of contacts. So now we're we're really trying to like it's it's a totally different approach. So we're kind of just trying to piece everything together, and and a little bit is recruiting the kids and getting them there. That's half the battle some of the time. And there's a lot of you know barriers to to getting their transportation and you know even even what venues are available and 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 health considerations safety a lot of these communities have you know specific protocols to their communities and and so got to really just kind of see see what's what and talk to the right people and and oftentimes they'll point you to who the community champions are that you should be involved with and it's just kind of creating like a band of coaches to, to run around and, and get the job done. And, and everybody who we've talked about is super excited about that kind of cohesive, again, multilateral, bringing everybody together and, and rolling as a unit instead of just like multiple groups doing like dis- disconnected things. I think maybe a lot of people were surprised at, at the journey that Kurt Styers took from, you know, the Six Nations all the way out to Halifax in the canoe sharing his story and his stories to people who want to listen and giving players an opportunity to ride along with him in his canoe along that journey. How valuable has he been to this program and to you uh, in your efforts to, to make this uh, an actuality? Well, he lives it, right? He, that to me is like symbolism of, of the journey that has been, you know, taken, been taken probably for time, a, a memorial so it's uh you know those are we we need to have more of those symbolisms in society and so you see that and you kind of just like okay and you kind of that's kind of something i want to try to emulate is like putting more symbolism behind things and 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 showing respect in that way and you know the guy's there to hold the door for the whole team every time you come off the bus he's open and available to you 24 seven. He's completely transparent with you. He doesn't beat around the bush. And, and so in talking to him, it was pretty easy. He, he you know, we, we got to know each other a little bit there and he, he's just real comfortable guy to open up to. And, you know, talk, he was ta- telling me some stories from his past and I was telling him some of my experiences and we we're just, those are, those are like when we were talking like at the time contract no- negotiations, like, that's really where some of these subliminal ideas were starting to come together just in, just in talking there. And it's like, you know, this, like not only is it good business, it's the right thing to do. And it's like, obviously Kurt doesn't have to prove himself in, in the grassroots, you know, doing the right thing department, because I, I think he's a leader in that. And 
you know, it, sh it showed a lot of le great leadership just to come here and, and, and step outside of the box. And, and, you know, those are, those are the types of philosophies that I think are going to keep the Thunderbirds, uh, you know, a championship franchise for years to come. Cause that's, that's a winning mentality and, and, and not that it's even, it's about doing it the right way, I think with him. And, and that's kind of what I've noticed is every time is all those little touches and doing the little extra things. And as we know, in lacrosse, it's the little things that kind of end up making the whole. So it's been a pleasure to be a part of like truly an honor. I mean, with family and friends here, able to like, it's like I'm basically riding home into the sunset. It feels like living the dream out here. And yeah, so very thankful, especially today on a day like Remembrance Day. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised that the the city of Halifax and, and the Maritime fans took to lacrosse so quickly and so so vibrantly? Be honest, yeah, I was I was a little bit nervous. Um, you know, there's only there's less than two thousand players in the province, so even if it's a family of four, there you're sitting at eight thousands, like about your break even. So it's like you know, we, you got to look at it and see like, okay, we, you know, we hear from Nick and everybody. It's like, we got to get 60% attendance of people who've never even seen the game. But the crazy part, especially I was injured for the first bit of the season and, and kind of being in the stands and kind of seeing things from the outside in and also being on the inside was just like, you know, walking out of the arena. I, I mean, just like a game, like the 10 goal comeback against Saskatchewan, like, people in the state people in the streets were losing their mind hmm. like saying like you know i've never been to a lacrosse game that's the best thing i've ever seen in my life and you know in kind of like asking a lot of questions being in the grassroots it's like you know how did you get into the game and like so many people are like oh i saw the rock on tv in like 2004 and right. that's what made me want to play and it's like we just we just made like 2000 lifelong lacrosse fans just from that game right. let alone 8,000 or 9,000 that, that saw it, like, sure, they're going to have a, a great memory about it, but I'm talking, like, we, we just created 2,000 players there that night. Every kid in that building, you know, would have wanted to be a part of something like that, right? So It's amazing to see how lacrosse and sport can bring a community together, and I know this endeavor that yourselves, Turtle Island Lacrosse, Black Lacrosse Alliance are putting together. It's not going to be easy, but I know there are great people in charge What's next for you guys? Because, you know, you have you got your first step into the ground. You're moving forward with the project. What's next? Well, uh, November 28th, we um, get going at the North Preston Rec Center uh, for a four-week program once a week. we got six- to eight-year-olds and nine- to 14-year-olds for an hour each on Saturday afternoon. So kind of a short window to uh, promote it. Like, we're about two weeks away here, but... Um, just over two weeks but we'll uh we, we feel like we've got the people in the right spots to, to get it out there and especially you know stuff like this and you know uh press releases that'll be coming out here and, and stuff like that should help with the promoting but that for us is a good first step we're hoping that it'll continue into maybe some like intramurals or whatever it may be that that they want uh moving forward and then um again today i'm talking to the sirens president the female sirens program here and uh, we'll be talking about what we can do, I think, uh, into the early new year, starting with the females, giving them a bit of a head start going into next summer. 
And then uh, with the uh, Warriors and the NAG, NAG stuff, is they're, they're asking for support starting next April, so on the high-performance side. So a little bit of continuity and flow there gives us time to kind of specialize in each group. And, it, and if you think about it, it's the group that's kind of the most – uh, that needs the most infrastructure is getting is is where we're starting and then kind of females next in line and, and then and then the warriors you know they got the, well the indigenous players lacrosse association has a great thing going on right now and i'm just just excited to see you know everything that's behind it and and you know all all that's possible here with because to me that's a demonstration for every other territory in canada quote unquote um that that could have an association hmm. and i look at it like like you know if the if the hudnasoni are going to be at the olympics in 2028 why can't the Mi'kmaq warriors hmm. why can't the anishinaabe why can't the squamish you know it, it opens up the doors and that's the vision that that our team had when, when we formed in 2015 like we saw that vision and you know every year that goes by especially with steps like this it starts to you know show you what's really possible here and, and how far reaching it can be and you know, we, we got big plans here, but obviously it's we got to start digging in and, and that's kind of that's where we're going to start. Well, my friend, you may not be proud of the double bird salute. You may not be <laughs> proud of forgetting a few neighborhoods and areas as your time as technical director, but you should definitely be proud of the work you're doing right now. It's amazing to hear the successes already out there that you guys have. I wish you the best of luck. I appreciate the time and it's been a, a real treat catching up, my man. Oh, it's like poetry in motion, buddy, and it's a pleasure uh, working with you and, and getting to catch up. Uh, it's been been a few years, but uh, as we need guys like you doing the grassroots stuff and getting the message out there, and I, I commend you on your efforts as well, there, brother. There he is, Chet Konexny. And if you are unfamiliar with the double bird salute, um, go to YouTube. Google Bandits Mammoth Brawl, you'll see it. You'll see it. Um, that was many moons ago and uh, a different Chet. But truly, he is a very giving human being and a very humble person too, but also very eloquent in, in what he has to say and what he's learned and how he's able to orate his ideas and I can't think of a better person to sort of be leading up this charge out there and I wish them all the best of luck uh we'll keep in touch with Chet just to see how they are doing and everything that's going on but I think this is a great initiative I think it's something that can be done all across North America and I think it's something that needs to be done because as we have learned over these past few years but decades there is racism systemic racism blatant racism all across North America and the world so we need to continue to have these conversations some other conversations that are going to be needed to have in the next little while will be with the Six Nation Chiefs and many of their fans and sponsors in the area uh, if you weren't on social media on Wednesday, uh, Daryl Smart put out a blog post um, that basically said after this upcoming summer, the 2021 summer, 
There is a possibility that the Six Nations Chief Organization, been around since 1993, as Jake Elliott reminded us all today, could possibly fold up shop. Now, I don't know how truly serious this is, if it's maybe a bit of a clouded ask for more sponsorship and people to get involved to kind of help the franchise. But if the Six Nations Chiefs organization ceased to exist, it would be a real loss for major series lacrosse and all of lacrosse. Now, I believe that the ILA holds around 3,000 people. And they probably maybe fill it halfway for games. Never been to a game there in my entire life. So I've only been able to see things on TV and on internet and all that stuff. But it would be a shame if they were unable to continue as an organization. So that is a story that we are going to have to continue to watch and keep an eye on. But as they've said, they're going to play through the 2021 summer, whatever that looks like, however it gets played. And then after that, those real talks are going to have to be had to try to figure out if they can continue. The question becomes, if they don't continue, what happens to all their players on that roster? Do they get dispersed? Are they all free agents? Do they all just go play senior B? Who knows? Maybe they all go play, by that time, the NLL's full-time summer. I don't know. But, um, as I said, when the Chiefs come out and make that public, it's either... 100% the truth or maybe a lot of the truth with a little bit of veiled ask for a little more help from the people around the community. NLL fans have been wondering and waiting when Fort Worth might get a name, logo, and colors and all that stuff. Well, it has been confirmed that on November the 17th, that is just five days away, they will make a formal announcement and unveil their new colors, logo, and name. Obviously, we all kind of know which direction they're heading for a name. We've talked about that many times on this show. Maybe they'll surprise us and go a completely different direction. But in five days' time, we will know the official name of the National Lacrosse League's 14th team. And the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, keeps on teasing that they might announce two expansion teams within this pandemic. So that could mean in the next couple months, we might get Team 15. We're all keeping our fingers crossed. One other news and note before we get to Jamie Shuchuk. You heard in the interview at the start with Chet, where he talked about how this whole inclusion and empowerment program kind of kickstarted was back at the 2019 players business summit in Philadelphia. I believe it was the first one they'd ever done. And the second one is now coming up starting on Monday this week. And the fact that that came from that business summit really puts a lot of excitement into this next upcoming players business summit. Now, not everybody takes something away from these things, but if one person like Chet 
can take a message and an idea from the next few weeks of courses that these players are going to be doing put on by the National Cross League. If someone can take something from that and implement it and run with it and make it really strong and powerful and have some impact, then I truly believe these summits have made their mark. So starting on November 16th, the National Lacrosse is going to host a town hall with the commissioner and Jessica Berman. I will be moderating that town hall. Uh, then they're going to do uh, lacrosse operations. So they're just going to focus on just general runnings of the National Lacrosse League with the players. Brian Lemon is going to host it. Um, and the players can ask questions and give feedback and all that stuff. Then uh, a week later on the 30th, they're going to talk about marketing, social media, PR, and communications. Uh, the following Monday will be commercial stuff, sponsorship, licensing, expansion talk, and broadcast. And then the final Monday will be corporate social responsibility, so social justice information, uh, diversity and inclusion, and grassroots. So all the players have been invited to join this. Um, they are all able to join anytime they can. They can give feedback, ask questions. Um, they're going to be broken up into some discussion groups for some of those broad for some of those nights, um, just to kind of make some smaller groups so guys can ask some more questions and get better answers instead of all being in just one group. So I'm interested to see what next great idea can come from this and what the players can learn and what the commissioner and Jessica Berman and Brian Lemon and everybody behind the scenes can get their message out to the players. So these business summit may not be as of interest to many fans, but for the players, this is a huge moment for them to continue to stay up to date with what's going on with the national lacrosse. They can ask all those questions that they have. And I implore all of you players that when you are on that town hall or if you are on that town hall or if you have questions and can't make the town hall, send me your questions and I will get them asked and find answers for you because I know you all have them. Whether it's how you're, the league's going to deal with COVID. What is the expansion talks that are happening? What about full pay? What about crossover with summer leagues? Any questions that you have, Send them my way. I'll ask them for you. Speaking of questions, one more thing before Shuey. Travis Cornwall doing a great little thing for all rookies. Did I talk about this last week? I can't remember. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Anyway, it's still a great thing. It's a little rookie handbook. Uh, it's still going to be given out to all the players. Could probably get a copy of it. But for any of you ex-players that have lessons that you've learned over the years in your lacrosse career in the National Lacrosse League that these young kids may not know, may not know to ask the questions, uh, pass them to Travis Cornwall. And uh, he, he'll put them in his handbook. I added another one the other day, and this was instilled on me by the great Guy Van Arsdale when I was in Rochester my first year. And that was, if you're early, you're on time. And if you're on time, you're late. And it's something I try and live by to this day. And I think it's something that all players will need to learn because you do not want to be the reason that your team is late leaving for the arena. You miss your flight. You miss the bus, whatever it may be. Just be early. Just be early. All right. Jamie Shuchuk. He has been calling games for five and a half, six years now. 
and he has really grown into his role. And I have had the pleasure of sitting beside him inside now Ball Arena, the Loud House in Denver, Colorado, calling games for the past few seasons, and it's been an absolute treat. And we need more players. When their careers are done, to have the want and ability and passion to step up into the broadcast booth and start being an analyst. Now, you don't have to do play-by-play. That's a completely different animal, and I completely understand that. But the analyst role, whether it's between the benches or up in the booth, is an integral part of our broadcasts. And so we're going to continue to go around the league to talk to some of these guys about trials and tribulations, the fun that they've had, some of the great moments that they've had, and just what it takes to make that transition. Here's a great chat with my good buddy, Jamie Shuchuk, right here on OTCB. Going down by Jamie Shuchuk down there in Denver. No snow, a little bit of sun, but uh, always willing and able for a chat. Shuey, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, buddy. Um, I miss you. Yeah, buddy. It's uh, been a weird, uh, weird year, to say the least. Definitely miss you. Uh, season came to a crashing halt there back in March, and um, you know, unfortunately, we're going to get back together. But uh, been been up on your podcast, and I apologize I don't listen to all of them, but um, definitely, definitely when I need a Teddy Teddy Jenner fix, I'll throw on the off the crash bar. So it's uh, it's an honor to be on your episode here. I uh, appreciate the plug on my own show. That's great stuff. Um, that game back in March where the Mammoth were down to Rochester and then kind of came back and was just a, a real gutty win for them way back then. And that's kind of when it all fell apart. But they were starting to hit their stride, weren't they? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's what I love about, about this Mammoth team. Definitely the last couple of seasons under – under head coach Pat Coyle, he's uh, he's definitely created his, his own culture, and you can definitely see, uh, you know, the way these guys are are, are putting it out there on the on the field, and um, you know, you know what Dylan Ward's going to do every year, but uh, you know, I, I totally agree with you, Teddy. I think they were definitely starting to peak there, um, and I uh, was talking to some of the guys that obviously were devastated, but uh, you know, definitely like the direction they were heading. Um, and then I think they had a pretty decent draft, too. It'll be interesting to see how everything folds out. Um, what did you think of the Zed trade for Coatsy? Were you as shocked as I was when that happened? Or were you more shocked about the Rooster trade? <laughs> oh, I was trying to bring that up. I heard you were a little choked up about that. I, I was a little <laughs> choked up. I was a little yeah. choked up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, two great guys. Like, you know, I, I played with Dan Coates. Um, my last year when I was there in the mount with the Mallets in 2014, so I've been around them, you know, all kind of friends here in Colorado, and uh, you know, it's obviously like just the character you look at, you know, kind of the kind of became the face of the franchise as the captain and everything he brought. But you know, talking to um, GM Brad Self, you know, you know, finances come into play in this league, and um, you know, I think that is a factor there that needs to really really address their their salary cap and, and, and the roster and um, you know, what would be a good fit for for them. And, yeah, I definitely think if you're going to trade Rue, they 
anyway, so going, going back to the Zed Williams trade, yeah, 100%. I was really – I was shocked, but I was also really excited about the type of player he was. And I watched almost every game in the Premier Lacrosse League, and his stock just skyrocketed after watching him. But um, I, I think it's the character that he brings to the, to the locker room. Like, we're losing a guy like Dan Coates and Jacob Uwe, who – you know, just, just great character guys, loved by by their teammates. Um, but from what I hear, and you know, it's like look at the swarm, look at the righties. You know, mm-hmm. Zed was the, you know, look at their staff, right? So I think, you know, Brad Self is extremely. They're, they're so excited to have a guy like Zed there. He's going to get more opportunity. Um, you saw what he did in the PLL. You know, there in the, in the finals and whatnot. And you know, I think he's going to be able to bring that and have more of an opportunity here with the man. So I think that's a huge positive. Um, definitely, you know, sad to see those guys go. Um, you know, as a player, I've been through that where your teammates get traded and, you know, it's really devastating. Um, yeah, but uh, again, I think it came down to the, uh, the numbers thing. Um, but I think they landed on their feet. I think, you know, you look at their, their front end, I think they did improve. Um, I think Zed's going to be a, a huge piece and he's going to have a lot of expectations by that coaching staff. Well, let's hope come 2021 in April that we can see all those pieces of the puzzle put together on the field. Uh, inside Ball Arena, um, how did Denver and Colorado fans take to the Pepsi Center being renamed Ball Arena? <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, I had to yeah. do some research on what Ball is and what that mm-hmm. means. And the company, it actually, it's actually really interesting, Teddy. One of our, um, you're familiar with our U.S. Box LA program, here and our Denver Elite um, box teams here. We we have a family um, and a daughter that's uh, playing our program, and their father actually works in the ball company. So John Gallant, my good buddy, educated me on that. Um, but uh, it sounds like the the initiative is there. Um, I think that was the big big thing. They wanted to partner with someone. Um, you know, if if you work into the, the recycling thing and just being involved in the community and. Yeah, so I think that was a big factor there, but it's definitely going to be, it'll be weird. You know, mm-hmm. it will be. I'm used to going to the, I mean, yeah, I'm used to going to the can, you know, excited to go play at the can and, you know, go watch a game. And, you know, so it's going to be, going to be a little bit of a change, but that's, that's what it goes through. And again, it's going back to, that's, that's the business side of, of our sport. You've gone through some changes uh, in your own life. You've gone from a player and now you're an analyst riding shotgun. I'm kind of, I kind of ride your shotgun because you were there before me. Um, but how have you enjoyed the the process and the change from being down on the floor to now being up in the booth, being an analyst? I I absolutely love it. I mean, um, you know, obviously we're 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 not in it for the dollars. All of us across the people are in it for the dollars. We're here because we absolutely love this sport and being around the sport. So, um, you know, how how it all happened for me was you know. I, 2014 was was my last year, and I I went to training camp that year. I was one of one of the last cuts, um, and then kind of had to figure out, you know what? I think I think this is the end of my playing career. And luckily at that time, I had started, you know, a real big boy job. Um, and so I, that was lucky the timing with that. But as far as the lacrosse stuff, I mean, I you know, good friends with Steve Gavitt. I just I called him up and said, hey man, I want to be involved. You know, if I can I watch film? Can I break something down? You don't have to pay me. Like, I'm going to watch the games anyway. And, and uh, like, right away, he says, you know what? Jeez, I think you'd be good in color commentary. And it really caught me off guard because, um, 
you know, like growing up as a kid, you know, you, you hear all these, when you think of the game, growing up in Edmonton, we had Rod Phillips, um, our security Chad, um, absolute legend, and, you know, the guy would get you out of your seat, um, you know, driving your car, and he was that good, and so I always was attracted to the broadcasting thing, and, um, you know, so just to be able to, and then at the time, it was Connor McGahey, who was like, mm-hmm. You know, he's an absolute legend in Denver. The guy's the way you can't go to any sporting event without hearing his voice. And uh, so Connor McGahey and Andy Lindahl, uh, who's also on local radio here in Denver, he's heavily involved with the Broncos. Great, great people. Um, so they put me on the bench. Right? They, they put me in between the benches there and, you know, just kind of say, hey, you are here because you know lacrosse and you know, we don't as well as you do. And, you know, feel free to speak up and, you know, so it's definitely intimidating at first, and uh, but again, it's just a little bit. You, know, you got to walk through the locker room there. You see the guys. You see them preparing, and just being around the competition. You know, I think as as a player, that was my biggest, uh, the hardest thing for me to get over is I just couldn't have that competition anymore with my with my with my buddies on the weekends, and that's why I love coaching. I can still get that that competitive fix, but. Uh, you know, so that was kind of a transition for me. And, you know, very fortunate that they keep calling me back. And, um, you know, and then Andy Lindahl was kind of, he was on his way out. was getting too busy with the radio stuff. And so they asked me to go up in the booth and see games with Connor. And then next thing you know, see a tweet from you. And, you know, the uh, Steve and the two of us got together. And here we are. So appreciate you guys still asking me to come back. <laughs> Well, you you do a pretty good job. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain. You are a, a great right hand man during those broadcasts because you have played in this game. You're familiar with the players in the league. You understand the trials and tribulations of NLL life. But how hard was it for you to kind of take off the player helmet and put on that headset and kind of not be too buddy buddy and have the ability to to speak your mind? Because we all know lacrosse guys. As tough as we are, we can be sensitive if someone says something we don't agree with about ourselves. So how did you kind of toe that line of, of just being able to be honest with your thoughts? Yeah, it's, I, that's a great question. It's funny you mentioned that because Andy Lindahl told me that. He pulled me aside before my first game there when we were having, having dinner in the, in the press lounge. And he said, hey, let me give you a word of advice here. Um, you were a player. You've been in that locker room. Mammoth guys have been your teammates, and he warned me about that. He was like, just you know, you have to speak your mind, you have to say what's there, but there's no, you know, some things you say might might get to some of the guys. And you know, you mentioned, you know, tough exteriors. Definitely, the old guys are a little, a little more sensitive than the two guys. But mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely something I was aware of, and I'll never forget the game. It was one of my first games I did, and you know, the famous uh, you know, Alex Bouquet hit. On, on Carson Young there, um, you know, and they, they're so quick for it all the time. You can hear my voice. And, you know, at the time, I was all fired up, right, because I was like, oh, man, what a hit. And, you know, I didn't really think, you know, immediately, you know, how what the repercussions of what I said, you know, could, could you know, we all know what Carson Young is doing now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was, that was a big, big learning experience for me um, from that point on because uh, you know, I was definitely excited about the hit and I was like, wow, you know, talk about, you know, putting, because he had just, just got in there. I think Dylan Ward was attempting his pulled temporarily and Luke came and, and just had him. And in my mind at the time, you know, it looked like a, it was a clean hit. It was just a 
Carson is looking back on full speed and Buke just clocked him. But looking back on it now, you know, I, I do feel like there's no place for that in the game. And, um, you know, so that that was a learning experience. Like, I got warned about it, and then you know, my emotions kind of, you know, I got excited, and, you know, I'm a mammoth guy, and this and that. And, you know, so that that moment has taught me a lot about, you know, what, uh, what to get excited for and what not to, um, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I remember your voice in that call and it was the, oh my God, what a hit. Oh no, that's probably not good. Kind of like that snap of a moment where you're like, you're still a fan, but then you remember you're a broadcaster. Um, it, it's not easy. And, and I get caught up in it sometimes uh, doing play by play. And it's a very fine line that you have to toe, especially someone that still had close ties to a lot of those guys what would you give as advice for guys that are, are thinking about maybe pursuing a path of, of being in the broadcast booth? What advice would you give them um, to, to make that step? Remember why you're there. And, you know, I just, you know, when you're playing, we're all servants to the game, I believe. And you know, when you're playing, you're, you know, you practice as hard as you can. You do the best you can for the games. It's such a beautiful thing. And, you know, you, you, then you then you coach as hard as you can, and then you, know, you broadcast as hard as you can. You know, um, so you know, I remember when Johnny Gallant came in the mix, and he got you know he's always prepared and got all these questions. And I remember asking like, what do I say? I'm like, Johnny, you're the B guy that you see stuff that me and Teddy won't. That's where you come in. That's what you do. So that's what I learned is you know, especially with the dynamic of the three of us. You know, you're the you're the energy guy, you're the stats guy, you, you know, you, you get us going. And then, you know, I think it's great because we have Johnny who can break down, you know, little nuances of the defense and stuff that they're doing or, you know, how to play a shooter from the outside. And, you know, I can't really discuss those little details as well as him. So I think it's just, you know, kind of stay in your lane, but, you know, we're, we're still, still speeding for the game and you still want to study and watch and take it all in. But, you know, again, just – Remember why you're there because you love it and enjoy it. Um, I, I still get nervous. I still get butterflies there before we, you know, go to sticks there on the camera. And, um, you know, so it's just, again, love the game and, you know, have, have the confidence to be able to um, uh, articulate what you're seeing. Do you remember how many points you had back in your rookie year of 2007? I know you were looking at your stats the other day. You told me. Ooh. Well, I did ask you. I asked you where I find old game sheets. Um, yeah. The reason for that was my one of my buddies back home didn't believe that I played a game in Madison Square Garden. Oh, really? I pulled up the game sheet. Yeah, and you know what? I think I had. I think it was. Uh, oh, actually, I'll never forget that game. We lost. I felt coming up after the game saying, "Man, you had a you had, you had a good night." And I was like, "What do you mean? I guess I had seven assists that game." Um, so I had to, I had to share that with my buddies, but, uh, yeah, you did. And you guys lost, uh, 14, 10 to the Titans. You tried to come back, but you couldn't, but yeah, you, uh, you dropped a seven spot. Not bad for, for a young guy from Alberta. <laughs> I remember sitting in the penalty box. There were maybe 5,000 people there. Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and it's got to look pretty to small in MSG though, right? Oh my gosh! I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I took it in, Teddy. I went, um, you know, for a shoot around there. I went up to the top and I just sat in the bleachers in the quiet. I was like the only person in the building, it seemed like, and I thought that was a really cool experience considering the history of that building. But I'll 
never forget being with Ellie Box and Brian Langtree. I can't repeat what he said. Um, but we were in the box, and this, these little kids come over, right? 10, 11 years old, and they're, they're beaking out today on the glass. And I remember Brian saying something to these guys. Again, I can't repeat it. And these kids, we look on their kids' face, and they just went. It's hysterical. That's a memory. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. in my mind. But anyway, going, going back to that. Yeah, I think uh, I think I had 27 goals that year. I remember getting close to 30, and I was I was really proud of that. The team went 12 and four that year, and uh, coming off a championship year in 2006, and being the youngest guy in the team, just having the opportunity. Like, Gary Gate was my head coach, you know, it was like unbelievable, and he just he gave me so much confidence. You know, just continuing in practice, and you know, the crease on the power play there with Dan Carey, Gavin Crowe. Brian Langtry and Ben Prepchuk, and you know, I think we had the top power play in the league that year. So, you know, just opportunities were given, and um, you know, just so happy to be there. So I don't know where he's going with that, but um, rookie year, I think 27 goals. 27 and 26 for 53 points, and as the 25th overall pick, you made the All Rookie Team. That's not bad. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jeff Snyder was like 25. Years old when he was on that rookie team. Uh, there's some, uh, I think it was Nutra there, and uh, Snyder, Manad Deitch, who's my teammate, Colorado. Yeah. He had a phenomenal, phenomenal couple of seasons in the NOL, and unfortunately, he had a pretty bad ankle injury that ended his career. But um, yeah, I got drafted that. That was when there were 13 teams, I believe, yeah. that year. And uh, Colorado took Gary Ben, the 13th with their first-round pick, and then I was their second kick there in the second round. And, fuck, I remember that guy. He was a beauty. Oh, yeah, Burnaby guy. Yeah. Well, you're Burnaby guys, man. Yeah, yeah you and your guys. Yeah, Ohio State. Bernie, let, let's get this out of the way. How the heck <laughs> did you get from Edmonton to Burnaby? And why Burnaby? Oh, because, ugh, Burnaby. Daddy. <laughs> I'm glad you asked because, like, you know, again, you mentioned youth in Alberta. Um, I just look at, like, I didn't I didn't start playing lacrosse when I was 13. Uh, you know, I was a hockey player. That's all I did. I played hockey, 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 hockey. And a couple of my friends I played hockey with and went to my school to play lacrosse, so I started playing. And, you know, in Edmonton, um, at that time, they had senior B and they had junior A. And it was just the Edmonton Miners with junior A. And I'd go to all those games watch these guys and, um you know so i had a lot you know i had some guys to look up to and all those guys went over to play in bc um you know the, the ray brothers who were south edmonton warriors uh dave ray was my manager um with the miners uh but you know without getting i could talk all day about this but you know essentially what happened was i played in two minto cups 2003 with kitchener 2004 with new west uh, St. Catharines was stacked in 03 with Craig Kahn and Billy D and Matt Vince and all those guys. So they won. And then Kahn, Panici, and Hoxby went out to Burnaby the following year. And they mm-hmm. And I remember playing that tournament. And, um, you know, I think I was one of the, I think I was one of the top, top scorers on my team. And I remember I had a really good game against Burnaby. I remember scoring a couple of goals that, um, you know, I was, and pat myself on the back floor a little bit then and um you know because i really i really want to beat these guys like you mm-hmm. guys to beat and i wanted to win and like i wanted alberta to get their first win the Muto to legitimize us and i hated all the talk about you know alberta's not there and you know took a lot of pride in that 
So then, then the following year, the following summer, I'm going to pick up the cost uh, things on Sunday, Sundays out in Sherwood Park. And Jimmy Quinlan was going to these two. And at the time, I'm pretty sure that year, he was, uh, he was teammates with Kurt Miloski with a Coquitlam Adonax. And uh, yeah, Quinlan yeah. pulled me aside. He said, he said Chewy, was a talk, man. And, uh, you know, we kind of had this discussion. And um, next thing you know, that's kind of how that got going. And I got uh, got released to be able to go out there. I, um, my roommates were Jamie Lincoln and Dane Doby. And we won a Mitchell Cup that year. I'll never forget Kurt Miloski on the phone saying, Jamie, if you come here, we're going to win. You're going to be a winner. You said that to me. You're going to be a champion. You're going to be a champion. And that time, that's what I wanted to be. I want to be a champion. I want to be the best. And so I took the leap of faith and moved home, or uh, left home for the first time in my life and went and lived with the Geiches for a bit. And <laughs> um, yeah, the rest is history. And then it was kind of, again, uh, just uh, the people I've been around, you know, having Kurt Milosky as a coach out there and all the support from the Geiches family and just everybody. I mean, I would not be, wouldn't have had the confidence to be able to do what I'm doing now if it wasn't for that move. So that was an absolute game changer in my life well man it's been uh awesome riding along with you up in the booth a mile high um i, I appreciate your stories and i appreciate your continued expertise um and what you're doing say hi to the family for me and hopefully the next time we talk uh we'll be in person calling the game my brother we'll do buddy appreciate everything you're doing for our game and um keep it up and, uh, I'm, I'm with you hopefully i can see you here There is Jamie Shoechuck, Shoebomber19 on Instagram. If you want to chuck him a follow, I know he's always fishing for followers. Um, But it's as simple as a conversation with your general manager when you can kind of see the writing on the wall. And for Shoey, that was going to Steve Govett at the time and say, hey, I want to be involved. And he was honest, I'll watch film, I'll cut tape, I just want to be involved. And oftentimes guys hold on to the game too long and want to be involved. And can be distractions because they're just, you know, they're around the guys but they're not really helping. But Shuey wanted to make an impact. And Steve Govett had the foresight to say, hey, you know what, I think you would be a great analyst. And he has become a great analyst. And I think it's actually helped him as a coach with Denver elite and us box club, because he's able to see the game happen and he can use the things that he learns as a coach and bring them to a broadcast. He can learn the things he learned as a player to being a coach. And he's done a really, really good job at becoming a more polished broadcaster on air. And it's been an awesome treat to watch him grow Every night we're on air. We have created such a great partnership, he and I. We have a ton of fun up in the booth. Yes, we really do smell smelling salts before our mics go live to start a game. Just It's part of our ritual, part of our tradition, but it just kind of gets us into that moment. So uh, great chatting with Shuey. Uh, we're going to continue conversations. We're going to try to grab some of the other guys around the National Lacrosse League. Like I said, it may not be an every week kind of thing, but... We've got till April to have a bunch of these conversations. So we'll have some fun with it and we'll chat to more chat to some more guys um, around the league. That'll do it for this week's show. Thanks to Chet. Thanks to Jamie. And as always, 
thanks to you. Don't forget, November 17th, Fort Worth somethings will be officially unveiled. I know the commissioner will be there. Of course, Bob Hanley will be there. And maybe some other dignitaries and ownership groups and all that stuff. But November 17th, Fort Worth will be unveiled. And maybe we can now look forward to Team 15 and start trying to sleuth that out. Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram, OTCB Podcast, or I am on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Stay safe. Enjoy the Masters, everybody. Can Bryson bounce back? Can Tiger repeat? Maybe I should start a lacrosse and golf podcast combo. Probably not. Maybe just one. We'll see. I got lots of time. Until we speak again next time, stay safe and be excellent to each other. I am an outlaw.